Good morning, church. Oops, there we go. Morning, church. And I want to say uh, good morning to many of you still with us or also with us watching online. Glad you are watching with us at home or wherever you are this morning. Great to have our kids back here week two as well and that orange shirt's peppered around the room. Thank you for your great service making our kids' ministry available uh, to our families. We're in the second message, if you start here with us last Sunday, in this series introduced by that video, Rise and Fall, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. This morning, we are in Genesis chapter 2. If you have a copy of the Bible uh, on your uh, lap phone, however you access it, Genesis chapter 2, and we'll be reading, or I'll be reading verses 1 through 7. You can follow along with me in a message titled, Called to serve. Genesis 2 verses 1 through 7. Follow along as I read. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. I mentioned last week, if you were here, that Genesis 1 and 2, it's the creation story. Sometimes it's thought of or even um, uh, controversial that two creation stories and they're not saying in the same thing in the same way. I would say to you, um, it's really one creation story. In fact, the seventh day of creation, if we follow the chapter divisions, doesn't even happen until chapter 2. So if these are two stories of telling the same event, it's kind of sloppy. <laughs> you stuffed, didn't even finish telling the story. But I would say to you, it's really one story. It's a continuation. And what you have in chapter two is a narrowing of the focus, just like anyone else that's telling you a story. They're going to say, give you the sort of the, the big picture. Now I want to focus on what I really want to talk to you about. I really want to punctuate my focus, and really what I would say to you is day six and day seven, which is the opening parts of Genesis chapter two, which is both the um, creation of mankind, man and woman, and the Sabbath, they together, these two things, day six and seven, form the foundation of the primary larger purpose of creation. Here it is. Let me give it to you in a sentence. God designed mankind, okay? He created them male and female in his image, etc. God designed mankind as his living agent to represent him in a world defined by human grasping and the coercive use of power, okay? Keep in mind, let me say that again. God designed mankind, it's a purpose statement, into a world to represent him. That's what it means to be made in the image of God, to represent, right? To represent him in a world 
that's defined, defined by human grasping, right? Life's about what I can go after and get out of the world, and by coercive uses of power. Keep in mind, as I said last week, the book of Genesis didn't fall from the sky, you know, outside of the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, that's not how it happened. The book of Genesis likely was written by Moses in the wilderness wandering after the Exodus as a document, yes, the living, breathing word of God, and I believe that with all my heart, but as its first purpose was to give into this congregation called the children of Israel to help them make sense of the world in which they lived, okay? And keep in mind also that they had come out of Egypt where for many, many, many generations they were slaves. They came out of a culture that was defined by human grasping, that was defined by coercive uses of power, that said, listen, the more we can accomplish, the more uh, better that we are. Life is all about what you can get done in the world, right? Not a lot has changed in you know, thousands of years. And God said, listen, friends, in this world that's organized on these principles, on this way of understanding what life is about, it's about getting what you need and stepping over people if you need to. And the person who's, the, who has, who's in the power position is the person that's running things, okay? This is the world. God's saying, listen, I want to show you a different way. I want you to represent me in a different way, right? It's the crowning achievement. The Lord then formed man in the, in, out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This creation of humanity, it's mentioned in Genesis 1 and 2, but here in Genesis 2, it's actually given a different set of words and a different image. Same event, but it's said, told to us differently, and I would say to you, to stress something different about the creation of humanity. First point. You were made like God, okay? You were made like him. This is the point. And we're gonna talk about what that means in a few minutes. You were made like him. In Genesis chapter one, we looked at this, verse 27, the word create is used five times in that chapter about God's work. Three times it's used in just one verse, verse 27, to talk about man and woman. So he creates flora, 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 fauna, you know, the skies, the stars, the animal kingdom. But he uses the word three times, only used of God, the word create, bara is the Hebrew, to make a point, to say, listen, if you want to know what's really the sort of crowning achievement, <laughs> if, if you're paying attention, it's man and woman. It's the human agent. Now, in verse Chapter 2, verse 7, it's the same events being talked about, but in a very different way. The Lord God formed man, speaking of mankind, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Okay? We didn't get that image in chapter 1. And the word formed, okay, not the word created, same idea, but again, the writers are writing with intentionality. The word create the Hebrew word bar, I mentioned this last week, really is, is a fact where it's saying, listen, God created the world. I want you to know that I am the author of life. I created it. Ex nihilo, right? In chapter two, the word formed, it's the Hebrew word yasar, which really, it's, it's a different word that means this. Intent or design, okay? Intent or design. He's saying, listen, yes, I created humanity, but chapter two, I'm going to narrow my point here. I'm not just talking about the fact 
that I created. I want to tell you why I created. What is the purpose? What is the intent? What is the design? Very likely, I wouldn't be the first to say this, the Apostle Paul had in mind Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when he said these words, explaining the, the greater work of grace in, uh, to his congregation in Ephesus, Genesis, or excuse me, Ephesus 2.10, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork. Okay? He's explaining how the grace of God has um, brought salvation to individuals and to the church. How we've, our lives have been changed. For by grace have you been saved through faith. But then he says, let me tell you the why. For we are his handiwork, right? What an interesting word. And his handiwork, the underlying Greek word is actually poema, which really has to do with artwork, where we get the word poem, intent and design. It's the same idea as Genesis 2-7. Created in Christ Jesus. Now wait for it, guys. Here it is. To do good works. In other words, I want to tell you why I created you. I created you with a purpose and an intent in mind, which God prepared for other to, uh, excuse me, uh, in advance for us to do. Out of the eight creative acts in Genesis chapter one and two, in other words, there was eight creative acts. You can go back and read it. We read some of it last week. Only in one of them does God directly speak to the thing he's creating, okay? Genesis 1.29, and he said to the man, and he said to the woman, go and, 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 and rule and subdue. He doesn't speak to the animals. He doesn't speak to the stars. He doesn't speak to the sun. He doesn't speak to the flora. He doesn't speak to the fauna. He's making a point, okay? Only he speaks to humanity. I have this friend, probably you do too, you know, who says to me, I've known him forever, and he's like, you know, uh, we're just, not a, not a church-going guy, uh, we are just like the animals, you know, Rob, I appreciate what you're saying, God bless you, but we're just like the animals, and you know, in 2000, and I think it was, the, the human genome was 2003, I could be wrong, a couple years later, they, they finished the sequence of the chimpanzee genome, okay, and if, if you've read about this, uh, the chimpanzee z- z- genome is, has 99%, give or take, of human DNA. And so friends like that say, see, I told you, you're just like an animal, okay? Uh, Francis Collins, who um, right, uh, was the head of the Genome Project, now is, has the most important science job in America. He's Fauci's boss, head of the NIH. He wrote a book called The Language of God um, a few years ago, 10 years ago or so. And he said in that book that the, uh, the human chromosome and the mouse chromosome, I'm way over my head now, but this is, I did read the book, but the human chromosome and the mouse chromosome are strikingly similar. Now I think, wow, what does that mean? Is that a threat to my faith in Jesus Christ? Is that a conflict with, well, listen, friends, as far as I'm concerned, it's a great scientific discovery. The same God who created you and me in the, in the ocean created science. I think it's wonderful. Let me tell you what's different, you know, from me and, the, and my cousins, the chimpanzees, okay? Here's what's different. Only one of them, here's the point, did God get this close with? This is the point. 
and breathed into their nostrils, whatever this really means, if we could see a movie of this, making a point, he breathed into their nostrils, he kissed them awake, and in from God came something that did not go into the animal kingdom, that did not go into the, to, to the, to the, to the flora and the fauna, that's the point, okay, of what's happening here. God gets this close, and this is what he does in this. There's also something else going on here. It's a, God is making a commitment. This is a way of saying commitment. God's committed to all of his creation. But you know when we get past Genesis 2? There's not a whole lot of talk about animals. God loves them, but they, they kind of lose the storyline. There's not a whole lot of talk about the stars. They kind of lose the storyline. There's not a whole lot of talk about the sun. They lose the storyline. They're still important. Man is the point. Okay, and, man, and, and God only speaks directly to them. He, he's making a commitment. That's what the point of this image is. God makes a commitment to humanity, breathes in them the breath of life, and it invites a response. This is a covenant, which also, by the way, is where this chapter ends. We'll look at it next week. That's why they're both in Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And what is a covenant? It's a commitment, but it's not a commitment with a block of stone. It's not a commitment with a tree. It's a commitment with a living, breathing being who has the opportunity to respond in good ways and not good ways. This is a covenant. That's what you have going on here. God can only be known, image of God. Here, excuse me, he cannot be known through a molten image. That's why images were proscribed. God cannot be known through static principles, as important as those are. He can only be known through a living being who exists in the free realm of history. That's you and that's me. And we must choose to use our freedom to be faithful to God and loving and gracious to others. See, that's a, that's a sobering choice. When it says we were, we, God created us we were created as his handiwork to do good works. That doesn't mean you're going to do them, right? That's what God created you for. That's what he created me for. He's given me the breath of life, the power, and the ability to do that. But whether or not I do that is up to me. Whether or not you honor your marriage vows is up to you. Isn't that a scary thing? But that's the nature of a covenant, okay? That's what's going on here. We have to choose to use our freedom, choose to use our power in the right way. I don't know how many of you saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. Great war movie, may some say one of the best war movies ever made about 20 years ago, but it tells the story. It's really a story of a rescue mission, a rescue mission of a young private who, unbeknown to him, three of his other brothers have all died in different theaters in World War II, Okay? And the War Department figures this out. It's actually based, by the way, on a true story. I think it's the Neeland family, if you know this story. And it, it produced real legislation in World War II called the, 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 the um, surviving son um, policy. That once this happened to the Neeland family, when they lost all these kids in one day, they said, listen, we, we can't put people on the same ship and we, and, and we have to go in and rescue people if their brothers or their sisters are killed. So this is based on a true story. But here's the story. 
this, this captain gets this assignment to go into occupied, Nazi-occupied France to go find, because in war, you're, you're, you don't know where anybody is necessarily. You have to find them. They're always on the move. To find this one guy, James Ryan, before he dies because his other three brothers had all died in, within a couple days of each other. And they go in, these seven guys. Tom Hanks plays Miller, who's the captain. In the journey to find this guy, two of them die. And near the end of the movie, Tom Hanks gets a bolt in his chest. He's the, he's, the, he's the captain. And he's sitting on the ground and he basically has a few minutes to live. And he motions over for James Ryan, who they had found. But they're keeping him close because that's the mission. And he says, and he pulls him close to his face. And he whispers, James, earn this. Earn this. And then he dies. Now, of course he couldn't earn it (laughs) because three men died to give him that chance. But what he could do is decide to take this amazing gift that was given him and make something of his life. That's what's going on here. For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. But you have to choose to do that, right? We are free living beings. We are in a covenant. And every day you have to wake up and decide how are you gonna live your life? Are you gonna march lockstep with a world that's defined by grasping and by coercive uses of power and say, I'm gonna go get what I got coming. If I have to step on you, so be it. Or am I going to say, I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. My deepest needs are already met and I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to meet needs and bullets flying over my head or not. I'm here to serve you. This is what, this is what Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 are about. Second thing. One, you're made like him. Second, you are given real authority. You are given real authority. This is the heart of really this idea of being made in the image of God. The extended account, as I said, Genesis 1, 26, 7, 8, Genesis 2, 7, the creation of man and woman. It's the purpose of life. It's the meaning of life. But let me say this. The breath of God, this beautiful image of intimacy, it not only brings life, I'm talking about heartbeat and animation, you know, inanimate matter coming to life, if we used to look at the, you know, something that's not alive, alive. It's not just bringing life. It does bring that. But it brings spiritual understanding and moral responsibility. Okay? This is what the animals don't have, friends. Okay? Spiritual understanding and moral responsibility. I would suggest this to you. It's not my thinking. This is the image of God. The image of God isn't two eyes, a nose, ear. In other words, God is not a man. He became one in Jesus for purposes of redemption and understanding, yes. But the Bible says he's not a man, right? He's not a man. God is not a man. The image of God is the mandate for the exercise of power and responsibility. I created man and woman in my image and blessed them and said, go have fun. Be fruitful, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. 
the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living creature. In other words, I'm going to give you the raw materials. Right? If you're a school teacher, teach. You're a doctor, exercise medicine. You're, a, you're an athlete, throw that ball. You're, a, you're, you're, you're a, a landscape architect, do your thing. In other words, go out there and make the world a better place. Subdue it. What it means to be made in the image of God, Ephesians 2.10, is the exercise of power and responsibility. But listen very closely. But it must be done. It must be exercised the way that God exercises it. Okay? The way that Jesus exercises it. Listen carefully. Coercion and exploitation... In business, in the church, in politics, listen, in marriage, is a misuse of this given power. And it's the primary reason, if not a primary reason, for much of the world's misery, that is, the misuse of power, including the world that we live in today. Let me say it again. Coercion and exploitation in business, in church, in politics, at home, in marriage is a misuse of given power and is the primary source of the misery in the world today. The one who rules, this is what Jesus will say, is the one who serves, not the one who takes not the one who gets, not the one who, st- the one who rules is the one who serves. Now that's a choice. This is, this, is the, this, this is the sober challenge and responsibility of being a human being, right? Husbands, love your wives. Wait for it as Christ loved the church. Oh, did you have to add that? Okay. It's a choice that you make. Okay, it's a choice that you make. The disciples had this famous discussion, uh, Mark 10, Matthew, uh, Luke 22, I think. And they come up to Jesus. I think this is there to encourage us. You know, James and John, the sons of thunder. Lord, we have something we'd like you to do for us. Jesus says, so Jesus, so great. What do you need? This is a close paraphrase. What do you need? What would you like? They said, we would like to sit on your right hand and your left hand in your coming kingdom. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. That was his primary subject matter in his preaching. We want to sit on your light, right hand and your left. And I'll say it another way. We'd like a position of power in the kingdom. And Jesus says to them so graciously, he says, well, you don't really know what you're asking. He said, but let me say this. The way the world is defined by human grasping and coercive uses of power, that's not new. And he even says this. He says, this is how the world works. In a very shorthand way, he says, the Gentiles, talking about the, the powers at, at, at work, let's say the Roman government, he said, the Gentiles, they lorded over the people, like you and me. The, the regular hoi polloi, the people out there in the world, the leaders, they, this is Jesus' words, lorded over people. Everyone understood what that metaphor meant. And he said, the people above them, the, the super, you know, the people way up there at the top, they're just lording it over the people that are lording it over you. Now, the disciples don't, I think they have this sort of gentle nod like, okay, that's how the world runs. We get it. And he's, yeah, we get it. And that's, we want to be up there. <laughs> that's what they're saying. It's your right at your left and your kingdom. And Jesus says, but that's not how the kingdom of God works. 
He said, those of you who want to be great, you have some ambition for greatness, he said, your job is to serve others, right? And in case that principle is rubbing you the wrong way, you're having a hard time, let me say, say something, look at me, right? The guy you're following. I came from Galilee. I came from a two-bit town and called Bethlehem. I didn't go to Harvard. The people down there don't like me very much. You know, Jesus didn't storm the Bastille. Jesus didn't storm City Hall. You know what Jesus did do? He cleansed the temple. And wait for it now. Why did Jesus cleanse the temple and not the Bastille or, 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 or Herod's household? Jesus cleansed the temple because the religious leaders were using power in the world's way. That was the problem. If you read Matthew 23 and many other passages, and listen, he, he said, you've turned my father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people and, and show people the love of God. You've turned this thing into you know, a, a, a corporation and you're running it just like they run. He said, the, world, the world's been running that way from the garden. That's not my concern in the sense of I didn't come to change the way the world works in its systems. I came to have a, create a group of people, the body of Christ, my image bearers, who will go out into the world and demonstrate that you don't need to go out and grab and create and coerce to get what you need because you've been given everything you need in me and you can go out with a great sense of peace and satisfaction and go bring the world healing and love because you already have it. And by doing that, you show the world a different way. This is what the image of God is. This is what you and I are called to. It's about releasing power or using the power you have to do good. Philippians chapter three, or I'm sorry, Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight. Listen carefully to these words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, right, let me tell you how it works in the kingdom of God. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. What's that? Listen carefully. Who being in the very nature God, listen, if there was ever a power position, I think it was this one. This is point. Who being in the nature God, if God says, get out of my way, if God says, my way or the highway, if God says, jump this high, if God says, you're going to go to church or else, if God says, give me your money, if God says, well, he could. That's what he's trying to say. Who being in the very nature God did not consider the godness, equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, I would have done that. You might have done that. But uh, thank God I'm not God and you're not God, right? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. God isn't a man, he became one. 
and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and said, friends, let me show you what life is supposed to be like. Why didn't God just send Jesus on one day and the cross happened the next day? Because there was more to the life of Jesus than simply his atoning sacrifice. He wants to show you how to live. He wants to show you what humanity was meant to be, what it means to have the inbreathing of God, to take that weighty responsibility of power and response, authority and, and, and power and, and responsibility and use it in life-giving ways. That says, I don't need to make my life about grabbing and getting and securing. I can, I've already been given everything I need and I can go out into a world and serve. That's what Jesus did. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. You know, boy, do we live in a hyper a, a, a political environment. And, um, but let me tell you, there's one thing that's common from both sides, you know this, that's why people are so disgusted with politics, is that it's, it's about securing power and it's about um, using power to achieve certain ends. And you know, that's, that's not, that shouldn't surprise us. Right, left, up, down, whatever side you're on in this thing. Jesus says, that's the way it's always been. But that's not how it's supposed to be with me. Right? Jesus, that's not the way the church is supposed to run. Church is a whole different ball of wax. It's not about securing power. It's not even about demanding your rights. It's about giving them up. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that, but that's what he says. And saying, listen, friend, you need my coat, you can have it. You need my bike, you can have it. Because God will meet my needs. Okay? You're made like him. You're given real authority. Last thing this passage says is you are invited to rest. Okay? A few words and we're done. It should say something to us that on the seventh day, this is a whole part of the creation story. Right? So this is baked into creation. On the seventh day, God rested from his work, in case you missed it, in verse three, God blessed the seventh day because he rested. He wants to make a point. But what is this really saying? God rested from his work. It's not saying that God was tired because we know that. God doesn't get tired. He's not a man. He's not a woman. He doesn't have that. You and I get tired all the time. But God does not get tired. The word rest here, which the Hebrew is sabbat, which means to rest, where we get, the, eventually you get the, in, you know, the, the, the teaching of the Sabbath came from this idea, of course. It's where it's based on. But it's not the idea of I'm tired. Oh, I just need to fall into bed. You know? That's not what it is. It's the idea of completion and satisfaction. I don't know, there's so many ways to think of it, but let's say you're, I don't know, you're a school teacher and, you, and you, you finish all your plans, you have a great day, or you do all your work and you set back. You're a doctor, you know, and you, and you just, you come out of the operating room and you, and you, and it's, you, you, it, you did what you were trained to do and you helped somebody. You're, 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 you know, you're a great artist and you spend, you know, a year on this huge, uh, large format thing and you come back and it's done. You're, you write a book and it takes you three years and you finish and you finally get it published and you sit back and you say, 
You have this sense of satisfaction, this sense of joy, this sense of completion. That's what it's talking about. And he's saying, listen, this isn't just some little PS. This is baked into the nature of God, the nature of creation. He rested. He took a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a sense of satisfaction. He's telling you something about the whole creation story. God didn't go through the, 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 the eight primary acts of creation in this feverish hurry like he was trying to, you know, beat the Wall Street expectations. You know? That's not, the, that's not the, the, the tenor of Genesis 1 and 2. It was a God who, who had a smile on his face, who was painting a beautiful picture and creating a beautiful world, and it was done, and he rested, and he said, this rest, soul rest, is part of what it means to be, a, uh, to be, a, to be God. And if, if we're made in God's image, here's the point, then it ought to be true for us as well. And what became the Sabbath, I'm talking about the discipline of the Jewish experience, was a weekly disciplined reminder. This is the point of the Sabbath. It was a weekly discipline reminder of a community of people who lived among other communities of people that were based on human grasping and coercive uses of power. None of that went away, right? It's still around, isn't it? When, uh, he's saying, listen, what I want you to do every seventh day when they're out there going to work and, and busting their hump and trying to make more money and stepping up, I want you to just sit back and relax and you're going to make an announcement that says to the world, the world is safe in God's hands. And I don't need to go out there and work today. I don't need to do that because it's not, it's a, the, the point of life is relying on the promises of God, not your own efforts to be able to accomplish your own peace and satisfaction. That's the point of the Sabbath, okay? Life does not depend on the feverish achievement of self-securing. It's God's gift to be enjoyed. Great quote from one of my favorite writers. Sabbath is an unspoken prayer for the coming of a sanity shaped by the power and grace of God, okay? Sabbath is an unspoken prayer for the coming of a sanity shaped by the power and grace of God. When you live your life, I'm not talking about Sunday or Saturday or someday, with a sense of confidence and rest, soul rest, the way you live your life, the way you do your family life, the way you go to work, or, or don't stay at work. The way you live your life, you're making an announcement to the world about who God is and who you are as his image bearer that is going to rub up against the value system of the world. One last verse and we're done. Jesus says the same thing. Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now what's he talking about? Is he talking about people who've who are, who are physically exhausted? I don't think so. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what he's talking about. This is what the Sabbath is. It's part of the creation story. And it's supposed to be what, it, in, in, in living with a sense of Sabbath, a sense of soul rest, that says, the I don't have to get on the, on the Ferris wheel or the, the, the gerbil wheel or whatever metaphor you want to use, the, this self-securing, um, you know, dog-eat-dog mentality. Yes, it's always been there, Jesus says. But you and I are called to live a different way because God has met the deepest needs in your heart. You are made like him. 
and you've been given power and authority, but to use it in life-giving ways, not in life-self-securing ways. I can go into the world. I love that, Alyssa, uh, you know, and you guys, that, that story, we, the brief story, School 35. We can go into the world not to get, but to give, right, in small and medium and large ways. And the more we do that, let me tell you, maybe this is the whole point of the coronavirus. Really, I'm talking about from God's standpoint. It's, it's, it's a tragic thing, it's a hard thing, I'm not minimizing it, but maybe, maybe God says, listen, you know, let's pull the, pull the emergency brake on the world for a little time here, maybe, so that people will slow down and stop running after things they don't need to be running after and start realizing that they have, especially if you're a Christian, they have in Jesus Christ the most important things already. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments. We thank you for, Lord, uh, just your amazing goodness and grace in, in, the, in our lives, in the world. Lord, um, we, want, we want to announce with our individual lives, with our, uh, the life of this church, we want to announce, in a sense, we want to witness to the world that um, God is sovereign, that the world is in, in your hands, not in ours, that we don't need to, um, life is not about self-securing, it's not about image-making, it's not about getting one up. Um, Lord, we've been um, completely um, loved and imaged in Jesus Christ. All right, it's in Christ, Lord, that we have our deepest needs met. We are your handiwork, right? breathed with the breath of God that we might do with our time, that we might use our lives and our careers and our gifts to do good in this world, the good works that you've prepared for us to do so that people who don't know you can see a different way and say, tell me, friend, um, about your God. We pray your blessing on this day, on this week. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.